she she is everything that I mean certainly I aspire to be you know she's she's sort of she's funny she's intelligent she's incredibly kind she can be very wise you know but equally she's really annoying sometimes and she gets things totally wrong from Chicago this is the unenthusiastic critic a podcast about destroying your marriage one movie at a time everyone and welcome to The Unenthusiastic Critic. I'm Michael McDonough. I write about film and television at unaffiliatedcritic.com. With me today is my own funny valentine, my lovely wife Nakia, otherwise known as The Unenthusiastic Critic. Isn't she ugly in that song? In my funny valentine? Yes. Um, Your looks are laughable. Her looks are laughable, yes. Unphotographable. That's a really nice thing to say about No, it's me. a Thank really you. sweet song though. It's not. It's... He just called her butt-ass ugly. So you would not be romanced if you received that song as a gift. Well, one again, I don't like songs sung to me, or I don't want to be serenaded, and then definitely don't insult me by a serenade. That would be preferable. Thanks. <laughs> On this week's episode, Nikki and I are going to watch the 2005 adaptation of Pride and Prejudice by Jesus. Joe Wright. I'm sorry, did you say something? I said Jesus. <laughs> I don't even know what that, what does that mean? It's, I'm exasperated, I just... I'm not, Already? I'm not looking forward to Pride and Prejudice. I'm really not. You you got to try to go into these things with a slightly better attitude. I don't think I do. <laughs> really don't think I do. What's the problem? It's Pride and Prejudice. Yes, it's a beloved, immortal, 200-year-old love story. Mm-hmm. I'm not impressed. <laughs> <laughs> I'm no interest in it at all. Really don't. <laughs> really don't. Okay, well, let's just go right into this then, shall we? Sure. So, first of all, you cannot deny that you need to see Pride and Prejudice. Yes, I can. That you need to be exposed in some form to this story. Well, I have been exposed to this story in some well, form. Well, no, you haven't, though. I mean, it sort of, the, the sort of themes of it play out in a lot of sort of modern you love stories. You haven't read the book. No. You haven't seen any of the other adaptations. I think I saw no, you didn't. parts of the no, one. No, you didn't. You're lying. I think I did, because what's-his-name is in it that I like, right? Uh, He died. Um. Uh-huh. Alan Rickman. Yes. Alan Rickman. Yes. yes. You saw Sense and Sensibility. Oh, shit. Because I made you watch it. <laughs> well, okay. Whatever. <laughs> it's the same shit. It, it really isn't. Okay. So, yeah. I mean, it is. Right. But, it, but you know. Yeah. They're not interchangeable. Mm-hmm. Did you like that one? Do you remember liking that one? It was fine. It's not anything I would ever watch again. I love that movie. It didn't make me, you know, swell with love or anything. It wasn't. Well, that's really the problem, isn't it? That I have no love in my heart. <laughs> so the last time we tried to do a, va- a special love. Valentine's Day episode of The Unenthusiastic Critic was a few years ago on the blog mm-hmm. when we watched An Affair to Remember. A fucking terrible movie <laughs> from start to finish. A terrible movie. The only good thing about that movie was the woman that he didn't end up with who had a fabulous wardrobe. But other than that, that movie was shit. People think of that as a very romantic movie. There is nothing wrong. It was just so... 
My problem with a lot of these sort of romantic movies is that, you know, the whole point is you put all these obstacles in the way of the couple that's supposed to end up together. And I get that. I understand that that's the whole point of these movies. I don't have a lot of patience for that. It annoys me more than anything. And then the end of that one, she's on the couch and won't tell him that her legs are broken because some stupid reason. And he's like, well, you didn't even get up to answer the door and you're not getting up to greet me. And she's just not saying that her legs are broken. And she lies to him about the quality of his paintings. It's just a terrible, (laughs) terrible movie. So, yeah, I did not enjoy that at all. That did not make me feel love or feel romantic in any way. So we we talked a couple couple episodes ago. I think it was during the My Fair Lady conversation. Mm -hmm. The fact that you're not really a chick flick kind of girl. I also don't like using that that's not a good term. We probably shouldn't use that term because Okay, it's let's not, not use that term. I mean, men and women enjoy these films and I just don't like them at all. <laughs> I really don't. <laughs> I really don't. What is it you don't like about them? Again, I don't like the whole thing is just sort of this dance that these two people have to do around each other for, you know, 90 minutes. And then at the end, they finally get together. And it's usually based on a lot of misconceptions and miscommunications. And it just, it's But isn't, the, isn't that true of just about every movie? Like you, there is a, crea- yes, there's a creation of dramatic tension. Right. Where, you know, you're supposed to think oh my God, maybe these two people won't get together. I guess maybe I But it's like that in every movie. Like, you know, oh, maybe Bruce Willis won't save everybody in in Die Hard, but you know he's going to. I don't really care about that. But they still... (laughs) It's an analogy. (laughs) But no, so maybe that's the point. Maybe I just don't care if the two people get together at the end. There are very few films, romantic comedies or romantic films, where I'm invested in the couple. Why? I don't know. Maybe my soul is bad. I don't know. (laughs) I liked... um, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. That's one of the rare movies you and I agree on. I think that's probably the best romantic movie of the 21st century re- so yeah, far. Yeah, that's probably my favorite. Um, I like The Lion in Winter. Um, <laughs> <laughs> which, as we've discussed before, is a movie in which the two people are trying to kill each other. Because they love each other so much. <laughs> So much love. I just like the it sort explains of sparring. so much about our marriage that Probably, this is what you find romantic. If I could put you in a tower, I would. Come to think of it, it explains why we're doing this. Yes, yes, it does. Yeah, you release me from the tower every week to do a podcast, and then you send me back. Um, <laughs> would that it torso? Would that it torso? But no, I mean there are romantic comedies that I like, like Love Jones. I really like Love Jones. There's a bunch of those sort of late '90s, early aughts urban black. Cup, like uh, Love and Basketball. I think Love and Basketball is great, which you haven't even seen. Okay, so you're naming the black movies. I'm naming the black movies. <laughs> Maybe I just, I care about black love. <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> yeah. Which is fair, but it's going to reduce your, your movie it watching. It is going to reduce my movie watching. I think I don't like stupidity. Not, it's not stupidity. I don't like people making behaving in ways that I don't think make sense. That I don't think real people actually behave in these ways when they're trying to, you know, get to know someone or, you know, enter into a relationship with someone. But maybe that is how it happens. And I just... Do you have an example? So uh, there's this John Cusack film called Serendipity with he and... um, what is Oh, it? Kate Beckinsale. Yes. Yeah. And I don't even know that I've actually seen the whole thing. I probably turned it off at some point because it is ridiculous. But they have this little meet-cute moment 
And instead of just giving him her number, she writes it in like a book or something uh-huh. and then sells the sells book in a used like, bookstore. If you find it in a bookstore, <laughs> then it's meant to be. And it's just like, well, that would have turned me off. Like, you're a fucking psycho yeah. and I have no interest in being with <laughs> like, you now. That you're not worth all that trouble. That's ridiculous. Just give him your phone number. That, that mo- that's such a bad movie. <laughs> it's a terrible But it is like, it's almost like a parody of... <laughs> The ridiculous contrivances and the self-created problems yeah. that people in these movies go through. And I, and again, I get, same with musicals, I get that that's sort of the point. And I understand that that's a lot of what people enjoy about them is you're, you know, this, the whole runtime of the film, you're rooting for them to kind of get together. and you're. Well, no, in that one I wasn't. That well, one I was yeah, that one. for them both to die in a fire. Terrible. But... So I understand that. I guess I just, I have never, it's rare, at least, that I become invested in either people mm-hmm. in in those types of movies. I remember uh, Roger Ebert's review of that movie, which I think he ended saying something like, if you run into this couple at a party, whatever you do, don't ask them how they met. Oh, God. <laughs> that would just be a horrible story. And there was like a glove involved. Like she had lost. Yeah, I just, no, it yeah. was just like, no, just don't. But I don't like it. Even the ones that people really love, like those, the whole like Sleepless in Seattle, mm-hmm. You Got Mail. I just don't. Enjoy them. Well, the Sleepless in Seattle was based on an affair to remember, which you've already right. Rejected. But nobody played was, like their was, lives didn't work though. It no, was no, the no, let's meet on top of the Empire right. State Building on Valentine's Day. Which why? Because they did it in that movie. That's what see, Sleepless again, in Seattle just was. Just cliched and trite, and just no. And that's there's a character in that movie who says to Meg Ryan, "You don't want to be in love. You want to be in love in a movie." Right. And that's kind of what you're talking about. That you just. It's not real. It's, I just don't have the patience for it. Because, again, it's just like I feel like the motivations just don't make sense most of the time. People's actions don't make sense. Okay. Well, I'm trying to think, knowing you as I do, mm-hmm. whether there are any exceptions to this. So you like the Before Sunrise movies. I do. I like them. Um, I mean, those and are And I just, do, too. Yeah. I think those are- it's very talky kind of two people getting to know each other kind of thing. Um but again, it was like, let's meet back. Did, they didn't, did they exchange phone numbers or anything? No, it, they didn't. Right. Right. So, but that was like a small sort of part of it. And I was able to kind of get over it. But yeah, I enjoyed it. Well, no, the first, the first movie ends ridiculously right. like that. Right. And again, it's almost, it, it's almost a parody of those movie mm-hmm. that cliches. And then the second movie, they were like, yeah, that was really stupid. Right. Like, why, why didn't we, did we just. Do that? <laughs> Because it was this bullshit romantic gesture. You just thing. have this one night sort of impractical, right. right? Right. Yeah. And then the third one is, you know, they've been. I don't remember if they're actually married or not at that. They've been, they have been together. Yeah, a they've long been time. together a long time. They have children, and right. it, it feels like a lived-in, real relationship. And again, right. it's just two people talking and being in a relationship. So I do like those because there isn't this sort of crazy drama happening. It's like trying to keep them apart. It's like these are two people who obviously enjoy each other, obviously enjoy hanging out and spending time together. So they're going to do that. And we're going to watch them do that. And it's what an actual relationship and it's what an can actual relationship like. can look like. Right. You know, if you're very chatty people. <laughs> um actually what what else what else is do you actually think is a romantic movie? Um Jarmouche's Only Lovers Left Alive is really beautiful and romantic. 
I mean, it's Tilda Swinton. Depressing and- ass, <laughs> goth, heroin addict vampires. They're not heroin addict vampires. Well, okay, they're blood addict vampires, but basically, <laughs> they're vampires. They look and they're act like heroin addict addicts. Vampires. They're, they're vampires. They're like squatting in an abandoned house First in all, abandoned no, Detroit. He's alone in the house in Detroit. <laughs> She is, you know, wonderfully traveling, you know, uh, internationally and reads books and <laughs> absorbs. It's beautiful. I, I do like that movie. I'm just not sure I would call it romantic. It's very romantic. They're going to live forever and they're together forever. And even if he's in Detroit that doesn't sound and very she's romantic in to me right like now. Tangiers or something, they are still deeply connected and in love and it's totally beautiful. <laughs> and then they eat someone at the end together. It's wonderful. It's <laughs> wonderful. It's so beautiful. I love that movie. True love is sucking the blood I mean, out of some poor innocent guy in Tangiers. Got to do what you got to do to survive way. together. All right, I'm trying to think if there's anything more embarrassing that you like. You have a fondness for love, actually. That's wearing off. Well, because they're playing it 24 <laughs> hours a day at Christmas time now. But yeah, the first, you know, a couple times I saw it, I was like, oh, that's cute. That's a cute little movie. Um, also had Smash Face in it, who I don't enjoy. Um, but yeah, Love Actually is cute. But again, it's just an assemblage of movie cliches. It is. It's very much so in that sort of vein of like the Valentine's Day movie where it's just a bunch of different stars in a movie, you know. The the only real relationship in that movie is Emma Thompson and Alan Rickman. Right. And it does not go well. Well, yeah. He makes poor choices. (laughs) (laughs) That's arguable. Is it? Did you see the red dress? I did see the red dress. You have Emma Thompson. Come on. You gotta respect that now. Come on. Uh, What else? There's stuff like some of the... I mean... Well, okay. We'll come back to Jane Austen. Clueless. I do like Clueless. Which is based on Jane Austen's Emma. Yes. But again... The love story between her and her stepbrother uh, is sort of <laughs> creepy. <laughs> it's sort of like it's on the periphery. It's not the main sort of crux of the movie. It's mostly about her and her sort of machinations to get the two teachers together so that her life would be a little bit easier at school. <laughs> um, and then you just get to hang out with her and her friends and her clothes. So I did enjoy that. Yes. Okay. And that was before uh, we realized that. What's her name? What's Dion? Oh, Dion? Yes. Uh, was I a, can't remember her name. Just yeah. not a great black person. <laughs> so. <laughs> she's like she's like a Republican spokesperson Yeah, Yeah, now, I think right? she's, she was on like Fox News for a while. Yeah, I think they, yeah. you know, tossed her for Omarosa. Now Omarosa's out as well, I think. But um, yeah, so we don't invite her to the parties anymore. <laughs> she was in black, a Kanye West video, okay? She was in a fucking Kanye West video. And now and it's just like, what the fuck happened there? <laughs> Come on, Dion. She sold her soul to the devil, and now she's not invited to any of the parties anymore. All right, well, I was looking at, uh, you know, I love looking at lists of things, just if nothing else to help jog our memories. Mm -hmm. So I was looking at, this is the AFI's 100 Years, 100 Passions. I'm going to (laughs) vomit. My issue with the AFI list is that there's an unnecessary ellipses. It's 100 years, dot, dot, dot. Well, because you need to pause. 100 passions. You need no, to pause you don't. You need Use to pause. a fucking comma, a colon. But let's talk about the passions. What's, what's going on with the passions? <laughs> okay, so I was just looking at, you know, the. so let's go through some of the films from the top ten here. 
Number one on their list is Casablanca. Okay, I liked Casablanca. Casablanca is probably my favorite movie. I've seen it a million times. I know. Yes, I know. I've watched it with you where you have recited along with the film, which is not annoying at all. I can't help it. Yeah. The love story, probably if we look too closely at it, is not a great love story. Because it's based on her cheating on, what's her name, She doesn't actually make any choices Basically, Humphrey Bogart decides, oh, you know, you should go with him. Like, she doesn't have any say in it. There's no... I mean, I think she does realize that that's probably the quote-unquote best thing to do, but yeah. So, fine. Okay, so we have no argument with that one. Right. Number two, a personal favorite of yours, Mm -hmm. Gone with the Wind. As a love story? Yeah, uh uh-huh. Okay. Not a Disney slave story? (laughs) Because that's what I took away. It's not even a good love story. It's a terrible love story. They're off. They're both awful. She is so See, this awful. proves that I'm not evil because I don't support that couple. I think that is not a good couple. Yeah, no. I think that's ridiculous. Uh, number three is West Side Story. Really? <laughs> okay. Sure. In which one of them ends up dead. Mm-hmm. They're also a boring ass couple. I don't. There's they really they, are. They just. Yeah. I just. I never got. Tony that. and Maria are not the best part of no. that movie. I tune in for America and then I turn it off. Yes, that's basically. We we've already covered that. <laughs> it's it's because it's women of color singing about how awful America <laughs> is. Naturally, that's the one you like. Okay, number four is Roman Holiday. Which did you ever? We watched that, we did didn't watch, we? Yes. Okay, that's a good movie. Yeah, that's fine. Audrey's cute. Um. Interestingly, in none of those movies does the couple actually end up together. The top four, quote-unquote, most romantic films of all time on this list, none of them, the couple ends up together. Well, we do like unrequited love. We do have a sort of weird fixation on yearning. Thwarted love. Thwarted love. Number five is An Affair to Remember, which is how we got to that. Terrible, (laughs) terrible, terrible. I cannot say enough how horrible that movie is. And then, okay, I mean, you know, some of these other films on this list we are going to get to eventually. Um, They're all on your list of films you haven't seen. Mm -hmm. Stuff like The African Queen. Which is a boat, right? It it is a boat, yes. Singing in the Rain, From Here to Eternity, which is a questionable choice for this list. Um, Vertigo is on this list. Is it romance? I mean, that's a pretty dark, (laughs) perverse... (laughs) Kind of kinky sort of love story. You gotta have something for everybody. Depends on what you're into. Uh, The Sound of Music is on this list. One of your favorites. Oh my god. Yeah. So I, you know, I look at this list and I think maybe you're right. That there are not really a lot of good representations of love on screen. I'm definitely right. So we cannot do this then, right? (laughs) Well, no, because this is one of the good ones. (sighs) Oh, Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf? Another great romantic story. I don't know how you got there from what I was just saying, but sure. I was just trying to think of romance. It's, once again, it's another movie in which the two people are basically trying to kill each other or emotionally torment each other. Well, I'm a child of divorce. <laughs> it means emotionally traumatizing and... But in a really funny, smart attempting way. Attempting to figuratively or literally destroy each other. Because mm-hmm. it never gets old. Like, romance gets old. <laughs> and people get ugly as they age. But you will, like, if you have the mind and the humor where you can zero and this is the person you know the most about, you know exactly where to hit them. There's something sort of beautiful about that. Right where the soft spot in the armor is that you can just slip the knife in. (laughs) Yeah. People out there are growing concerned (laughs) right now for our relationship. (laughs) 
we're gonna be like War of the Roses. Ex- another, another great movie, one. Like, another right? great uh-huh. one. Okay. <laughs> there is a pattern here. We don't have a chandelier, so there's no need to worry about that. We'll be fine. Totally fine. So we're gonna wrap this up early this week because I have some packing to do. When I was first learning of love as a teenager, one source gave me all my ideas and theories. Jane Austen's masterpiece work, Pride and Prejudice, or actually the 1995 BBC miniseries. Oh, that Mr. Darcy, so gruff and so distant, with a sensitive spirit just waiting to shine. There's a good reason that women love jerks. It seems like a fantastic idea at the time. Oh, 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 Mr. Darcy, oh, 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 Colin Firth, you wily old bastard, you wonderful specimen, you've messed up the hearts of young girls around the earth. So what do you actually know about Pride and Prejudice? Um, I know the basic idea. Well, okay, so I guess there's this family with like five daughters or something, which is unfortunate because you want a son and the daughters you have to pimp off. Um, pimp <laughs> out, excuse me. <laughs> so the parents have five daughters that they're trying to marry off to a wealthy man because that is the worth of women at this time. And one of the daughters, Elizabeth, I believe, ends up in this sort of antagonistic love thing with Mr. Darcy, who is arrogant and pompous and all that stuff. And it's, you know, women's places in the world and money versus marriage for love and <laughs> station and um, heaving bosoms on the moors, <laughs> fog, um... I'm not. I don't, I don't know if there's any fog in this. Movie. Isn't there always fog on the moors? I feel like fog and moors is like if you get moors, you get fog. Yeah, okay. I think they go together. Normally, I would say this story doesn't really take place on the moors. You're thinking more like Wuthering Heights, but in fact, this film version there's of course there are they're some on moors. the moors. Of course they are because all these movies have a, they have a moor scene and they have a ballroom dance scene where there's a stilted dance performance of like politics playing out in the dance and it's just <laughs> the fuck who gives a shit um and then they end up together because of course they end up together you don't know that yes they do you don't know that i do know that i've seen i've seen bridget jones diary and i've seen and i know what the fuck happens in pride and prejudice so they end up together because of course the two people that start out hating each other end up falling in love so you've never read any jane austen no how, did, how is that possible? I decided not. <laughs> um, so when I was first introduced to Jane Austen in high school, that probably was the way that my teacher set it up was she sort of chose these five or six books that were sort of these like canon uh, books and literature. And each group was assigned a book that they then had to teach to the class. I, of course, chose Ralph Ellison's Invisible Man. Of course you did. I was the only black person in that class. I was choosing Ralph Ellison's Invisible Man. If, if you hadn't chosen it, it probably would have been assigned it to you anyway, but yes. Well, no, we got to choose. We didn't. We were not being assigned. So I was probably the only one who knew who Ralph Ellison was in that class, though. So that's what I read. And then it was Moby Dick and Pride and Prejudice and I think Jane Eyre 
Um, and I can't remember what the others were. So I read most of Moby Dick. And then <laughs> I read <laughs> Alice, Ellison's okay. Invisible Man. And then I said, fuck I, it. I don't have any problem with you choosing Invisible Man. I'm just saying mm-hmm. that this is a shitty curriculum. Because it I should mean, not it's pro- be it's not right. you're going to read either <laughs> Invisible Man or Moby Dick or Pride and Prejudice. Right. Well, the, the is- thinking was that your fellow students would teach you the book. And you were supposed to read the book. And I just, again, I chose not to. Um <laughs> I just really wasn't interested. And I've never been interested enough to pick it up and read it. I, I really haven't. And then college is never, you never? No. Uh, I took sort of specialized literature <laughs> classes. So I took like South African women writers uh-huh, and sure. things of that nature. So I didn't, I'm, no. Okay. Well, I think what we should really do is just go read Pride and Prejudice. I'm not going to do that. I'm really not. It's we're gonna, you know, we'll add another week onto our schedule here, and we will read Pride and Prejudice and come back and discuss it. No, I have a desk full of books on my list to read, and I'm not going to make room for Pride and Prejudice. I'm just not going to do it. Barring that, <laughs> what we should probably do is watch the five and a half hour. I'm definitely not miniseries. going to invest five hours of my life in Pride and Prejudice. Okay. <laughs> now our listeners know how we got to the 2005 version, which I like. I, I actually think it's a really good movie. You like Smash Face. I, stop calling her Smash Face. <laughs> Sorry. So... Weirdly, I for some reason, I had been thinking that there were like 17 film versions of this book. Mm-hmm. There aren't. This is only the second film version mm-hmm. of Pride and Prejudice. There was a 1940 version based on the stage play with Laurence Olivier and Greer Garson that I haven't seen. It's apparently, it's not particularly faithful. It's a much lighter treatment. Mm-hmm. And then there have been several TV versions, Mm -hmm. including the 1995 version with Colin Firth and Jennifer Ely that is considered by, I think, the true Austin aficionados to be the gold standard, which I like. I own that version. I, I have watched it several times. I get why everyone loves it so much. I'm nervous about this because I know we're going to get shit from the Austin people about watching this version. Okay. Because obviously the five and a half hour version is much more faithful to the novel. It preserves much more of Austin's dialogue, which is fantastic. I understand the criticisms of the 2005 version from the Austin purists. I think it's a really good movie. It's Joe Wright directed it. Um, This was his first movie. He then went on to do Atonement. Oh, the green dress. The green dress. She wears a green dress in that one. That is very beautiful. Okay. Well, that was the first nice thing you've said about Kira Knightley, so. <laughs> um, she was also in Joe Wright's version of Anna Karenina, which is a film I love. And again, it's a film that's not completely faithful to the novel and could not be because Anna Karenina is like 12,000 pages long. But he made a really good movie out of it. Um, and then this year he is, I don't think he's nominated, but the film Darkest Hour is Joe Wright. Mm. It's nominated this year. So I actually really like this version. I think there are ways in which it's better than some of the other versions. I think it captures the spirit of the novel, if not all of its nuances. And mostly I knew it was the longest version of this that I was going to get you to sit down and consume. Very true. So what are you expecting from this experience? To not enjoy it. Do you think that's the healthiest spirit to be going into this? I mean, is it healthy to be on Foggy Moors with your breasts all hanging out? (laughs) 
It's not good for chips. How you get chest colds? It's not good. <laughs> I'm not expecting to enjoy this at all. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm really not. This is our special Valentine's Day treat. This is you, our romantic no, thing to do together. That then we need to talk about what romance is because no, that is not. No, this is not romantic to me. This is painful. This is an obligation. I do not see myself enjoying it. No. So I should also plan on like buying you dinner or something. I think like five dinners. Send you an edible arrangement. Something okay, nice. Let's talk about why edible arrangements are <laughs> terrible, horrible ideas. Don't send me fruit in the mail. I can go buy some fruit. And then the thought that somebody has then handled the fruit to cut it into fucking stars or flowers or whatever they do and dip it into chocolate and then they fucking mail it. I don't want like warm ass fruit in the mail. I don't, un- I really do not understand the appeal. This is not the depression. Don't send me fruit in the mail. No. You basically sent me a severed horse's head in the mail. <laughs> and I'm supposed to call and thank you for that. No, you could have just given me the money you were going to spend on that. Don't, no. It's, they're terrible. A few minutes ago, you said that true love was, you know, knowing where to hurt somebody. <laughs> And I know all I have to do is say the words edible arrangement to you <laughs> to get you going on a 20-minute rant. Don't send me fruit in the mail. <laughs> it's weird. <laughs> okay, and on that note, let's go watch Pride and Prejudice. Like, didn't Amy get, like, swats on her hand because her and her classmates were playing limes or something? Like, were they actually playing with limes? What the hell? You're talking about little women now? Yes. But this is what I'm saying. Like, why is fruit? I don't understand that. Were they playing with limes? Yes, they were playing with the limes. They were trading limes in school. Limes were the fashion. Why? I don't know. Because they were all poor as shit. <laughs> exactly. It's, it was that's, one step up from turds. I don't know I, what to tell you. That's how I feel about animal arrangements. It's just like, <laughs> why? Why? Yeah, what I'm saying is we're done talking about that now. <laughs> Let it go. Maybe let it go. No. These people don't want to hear about I that. I will not let it go until they go out of business. <laughs> no. It just shouldn't be. It really shouldn't I'm be. I'm trying to segue to the goddamn movie here. I don't want to watch the movie. So <laughs> I I'd, know. I'd rather sit here so and talk about stalling. edible arrangements <laughs> for hours. We're cutting it off. We're stopping recording. We're going to go watch the movie. Happy fucking Valentine's Day. Fuck you. From Jane Austen. The beloved author of Emma and Sense and Sensibility. That is Mr. Darcy. He looks miserable, poor soul. Miserable he may be, but poor he most certainly is not. Do you dance, Mr. Darcy? Not if I can help it. What on earth have you done to poor Mr. Darcy? I have no idea. I do not have the talent of conversing easily with people I have never met before. Perhaps you should practice. May I have the next dance, Miss Elizabeth? It would be most inconvenient since I've sworn to loathe him for all eternity. You may. <gasps> <laughs> He's so rich. By heavens, as you the snob you are. This fall, Focus Features presents the story of a modern woman. Mr. Darcy is engaged to my daughter. Do you think this union can be prevented by a young woman of inferior birth? Who discovered the one person she cannot stand is the one man she may not be able to resist. Can you expect me to rejoice in the inferiority of your circumstances? From the first moment I met you, your arrogance made me realize that you were the last man in the world I could ever marry. Do you not think him a handsome man? Yes, I guess he is. From the producers of Bridget Jones's Diary and Love Actually. He's been a fool, but then so have I. We are all fools in love. Kira Knightley, Matthew McFadden, Brenda Blevin, Donald Sutherland, and Judy Dench. You have bewitched me, body and soul. 
I thought she didn't like him. So did I. So did we all. Pride and Prejudice. So during the break, Nikki and I watched Pride and Prejudice. And I can usually tell during the viewing how well a movie is working for you. (laughs) And I am not sanguine about how this conversation is going to go right now. But I'll play. Okay. Nikia, how did you enjoy Pride and Prejudice? I was bored out of my mind. (laughs) I was struggling to stay awake for the entire film. That was the impression I had while you were watching it. Mm -hmm. I mean, at first I sort of hoped you were so caught up in the film that you were just engrossed and that perhaps you had swooned a little bit. I see. And that's why you were lying there motionless, slumped over, buried into my blanket. Groaning Mm -hmm. occasionally. Yeah. No, that was not swooning. I just really didn't find any of it particularly (laughs) interesting. I'm sorry. I was not invested in any of the characters at all. How is that possible? I just wasn't. I I didn't care what happened to them. This is Elizabeth Bennet. This is one of the great heroines of literature. She's kind of a judgy bitch. Her mom is a lot. (laughs) and her two little sisters are nitwits and i did not enjoy it at all that's disappointing (laughs) but is it surprising really no not entirely surprising yeah exactly do people really love that film yes okay i okay (laughs) i don't understand and if they don't love that film they love the miniseries and or the book. Mm-hmm. I'm sure the book is enjoyable. Um, I've heard that Austin's writing is, you know, very sharp and witty. And I can see where you would enjoy, even if you don't enjoy the story in itself, you would enjoy the writing. Mm-hmm. Um, I did not enjoy this film. Why not? I guess I just didn't care. I, was, I really didn't care about what happened to any of them. At all. And it's just watching the sort of dance of manners and the formality. And I just, I, I don't care. <laughs> I, <laughs> I really don't care. You didn't care whether she was going to marry Mr. Darcy? Well, she was obviously going to marry Mr. Darcy. No, that was she might have married... A foregone conclusion. Mr. Wickham. She wasn't going to marry Mr. Wickham. Or the odious Mr. Collins. She definitely wasn't going to marry Mr. Collins. Though I would argue he's probably into some weird shit in the bedroom. <laughs> And maybe a more interesting match than Mr. Darcy, who's probably like super tender in the bedroom. Fuck. I'm going to kiss you in the sunlight. Get the fuck out. Like, why? Okay. (laughs) I don't even know what to do with this. All right, let's let's back up. Okay. So let's let's start off. We'll Mm -hmm. we'll talk about the family a little bit. Okay. We have the seven members of the Bennett family. Mm Mm-hmm. Mother, father, and five daughters. Right. What is your impression of the family? I mean, they seem like a happy family. <laughs> the mother is very focused on getting her daughters married off, which I understand is, you know, you want to make sure that they are taken care of in the event of their father's death. So there's just all this sort of urgency around marrying off the girls. Yeah. I mean, the mother is kind of a monster. Yes. But with reason. Sure. I mean, that's that's five that's, girls is a lot. That's a lot to get out lot. the door. And that's a lot of product. They are all going to be homeless yeah. after daddy dies yeah. unless we get them married off. So, you know, I, I get that. And they are not all of equal stature. 
apparently was supposed to be the understanding there. Though, I think Mary was the best of them, really. (laughs) Mary is pretty much the only one who is absolutely guaranteed that she is never going to find a husband. And she may be happier for it. She walked around in, like, morning clothes for the whole movie. I love Mary. I want to know more about Mary. You you would like this entire story. I like Mary's, the entire story, to be which from I have no doubt has been written. <laughs> they have written so many variations and retellings of Pride and Prejudice. There's like a million novels out there. People taking off on Pride and Prejudice. In fact, a couple of years ago, you were briefly in a book club, and one of the books they assigned Longborn. Yeah, was Longborn. Dropped out of that one. Yeah, mm-hmm. you didn't read it. <laughs> I think that was the point at which you decided you didn't need to be in that book club. Yes, I believe that's told from the servants, the servant staff point of view, I believe. Yes. So I'm sure there is one out there Mm -hmm. from Mary's point of view. And if there isn't, we can probably write one (laughs) and make a lot of money because the appetite for Austin stuff is ridiculous. Mm. Okay, so I should write Mary's story. Yeah, if that's what really intrigues you about this. Or you can write some kinky S&M fiction about... Mr. Collins. Mr. Collins and whatever it is you think he's into. He's into some weird shit. I mean, he's a creepy dude. He's so it's creepy. not it's not impossible. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so what about what about Dad? Um, I mean, Dad was just kind of... He's in a, ha- a home full of women. And he's trying to make his wife happy and trying to, you know, ensure that his children, his daughters, are taken care of. So he pretty much goes along with what his wife wants, for the most part. But he's definitely much more, he's looser about the marriage. It's like he's just kind of like, it will happen in time and let them actually hopefully love their partner versus... He wants them to make a good match, but he ideally they would also be in love. So when Mr. Collins proposes to Elizabeth and she's just like, absolutely not, he's saying, yeah, absolutely not. I'm not 100% sure Dad isn't the bigger monster. Really? Yeah. And I think this was a slightly more sympathetic portrayal of him Mm -hmm. than we've gotten in other things. But he's kind of a weird guy. And he's kind of dangerously disconnected yeah, from I mean, everything that's happening. Yeah, he, he's sort of floating through the house and not really engaging a whole lot. And their marriage looked more pleasant in this version than I think it is in the book, and mm-hmm. I think than it is in other versions. I mean, there's a line in the novel where Austin says something about how, like, the only pleasure he had taken from his wife in years was amusement. that basically he, he was amused at her right. ridiculousness. Yeah. And made fun of her, and that that's all that was in it for him at this point. Yeah. And then, yeah, just his total lack of concern. Like, yeah, send Lydia off <laughs> with the soldiers. soldiers. She'll be fine. Yeah. It's no big deal. She's not going to be happy until she, she disgraces herself in yeah. public, so what the hell. And really, he just wants to be left in peace. He just wants, which, you know, again, he's in a house with these six women, and he just wants to be left alone to read his books and doesn't really care what happens. Pretty much. All right, so what about the sisters? Um, I mean, we don't really get to know anyone beyond Elizabeth and Jane. And even Jane, we don't really get to know her very Well, Jane's much. just kind of a saint. Jane, Jane is, is just, just perfect, pretty Perfectly Jane. proper in every way. <laughs> the ideal woman of the time. Yes. And Elizabeth is, you know, the smart and headstrong rebel. And then Lydia and Kitty, is it? Mm-hmm. Uh, are the voracious 
uh, younger <laughs> sisters who are very eager to find matches, and then my best friend Mary, who just kind of hangs out in the background and plays studious piano and, and <laughs> looks at everything with sort of a little bit of contempt. Yeah, so, I think Mary's a little bit on the spectrum. She might be, which, you know, I'm here with you, Mary. It's cool. <laughs> I hadn't thought about it, but you actually mentioned Little Women mm-hmm. earlier, and I, I hadn't before realized how closely those the archetypes match up, up yeah. here. That we've got the perfect, proper older sister, and then the second sister is the headstrong. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's no doubt that Louisa May Alcott had read <laughs> Pride and Prejudice, so I'm assuming this is not a coincidence right. that there's some borrowing happening here right. of these types. And then the middle sisters are a little different, but then in Little Women, it's Amy, who's the younger, right. silly sister. Right. Kind of a flirt. Mm-hmm. Who ends up marrying the guy that the headstrong middle sister had been interested in. Right. Right? So there's all these parallels going on. And we see, in the rest of Austin, we see variations on these same types, too, mm-hmm. playing out. So the event that sets everything in motion is the arrival in town of a wealthy single man... <laughs> Mr. Bingley. Yes. The famous first line of the novel is, It is a truth universally acknowledged that a single man in possession of a good fortune must be in want of a wife. It's profound. (laughs) But it does, in this society, it does kind of make sense that it's, you know, these women are all so desperate to find a secure position. You even look at some of the, like, minor secondary characters, like Bingley's sister, Caroline, who's Mm -hmm. a real bitch. Yeah. It's like Ooh, she, I enjoyed actually. She's in competition. Yeah, <laughs> she's in competition to land the wealthy man. Like that's what it's all about. Well, and uh, Elizabeth's friend—I can't remember her name. Charlotte. Charlotte, who was like, "I'm 27 years old. Yeah. <laughs> I'm terrified. I, I need to be taken I care have to of." Take Mr. Collins. Yes. So here's there's an interesting theory about Charlotte. Okay. Um, and I I don't know. I'm sure the other people have talked about this. I heard it in this a movie called The Jane Austen Book Club, about a book club reading all the Jane Austen novels. Oh, okay. And one of the people in there proposes the theory that Charlotte is gay. Oh, that's So interesting that when theory. she says, you know, I'm just as likely to be happy with Mr. Collins as with any other man, it's like, yeah, that's... That's an interesting yeah. way to read that. Okay. That, you know, Charlotte, Charlotte is not of a romantic right. persuasion. So she's uh, going to take whatever she can get and she might as gonna, well be yeah, comfortable. she just wants security and right. she wants to run her own house and not have to live with her parents. And I'm still not sure where it's worth being with Mr. Collins. That would have been a more interesting movie. See, I think there are other movies that I would have rather watched. <laughs> Let's watch Charlotte and Mr. Collins. Charlotte and Mr. Collins. Have a... You know. Have an understanding. Have an understanding in their marriage. <laughs> that would have been much more interesting. Okay, so let's 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 go through this movie. Let's see if we can um so we have the big the first ball. Right. Which is a public ball. Mm-hmm. That's where we first meet Mr. Bingley and Mr. Darcy. Right. And Caroline. And Caroline. And that's where Mrs. Bennett runs her daughters over to meet the mm-hmm. new eligible bachelor in town and, you know, embarrasses herself and everyone else, mm-hmm. as she will do many times in the movie. <laughs> and we get the first hint that Mr. Darcy is not the nicest person and Caroline is a bitch. So, yeah. Yes, Mr. Darcy makes the mistake of suggesting that Jane was the only woman in the room. Worth looking at. Worth looking at. And that Elizabeth was 
not handsome enough to tempt him. And that basically is the moment Elizabeth decides to hate him. Yes. And everything else in the movie stems from that one slight at that point. If he thinks I'm ugly, he must be a terrible person. But Mr. Bingley is quite taken with Jane. He's pretty much immediately in love with Jane. Yes. Well, he's not... He does not strike me as a complicated man. But still, you know, have a conversation first, (laughs) maybe. But, you know, they did a little whirly-burly dance, and then they're all in love. So that's that's nice how that works out. I don't think he has a brain in his head. I don't think he's dumb. So I think he, you know, imprints on her much the same way like a golden retriever (laughs) would. I think that's... I think he's supposed to be, you know, pure and free from all of these sort of machinations of the courting that happens in these societies. Well, he's not free from it. He's just unaware of well, it. Yeah. Because Mrs. Bennett then arranges to give Jane pneumonia so she can... Which Jesus! <laughs> no, she's going to take the horse yeah. in the rain. Yeah, you're not taking the carriage. And she's going to get sick and she'll have to stay there. Yeah, That is some desperation. <laughs> That is some serious, I need to get you bitches up out of my house. Because I'm not going to be broke. But it worked. It did work. It all goes according to plan. Yes. Jane, you know, comes down with pneumonia and has to stay at Netherfield for several days and get to know everyone. Yes. And then Elizabeth goes to check on her and still hates Mr. Darcy, sort of. Yeah. Likes him but hates him because she thinks that he thinks that she's not attractive, basically. Well, I mean, that's an interesting question. So at what point do things change between Elizabeth and Mr. Darcy? I think she's al- she always liked him. I think there was always a part of her, at least, that was at the very least intrigued by him and interested. I mean, this movie does suggest that. Like, there's yeah. when, when they first lay eyes on each other in the ballroom, there seems to be, like, a moment of... Mm-hmm. They each do kind of a double take, and there seems to be, like, a moment of love at first sight kind right. of thing. That, and then they spend the entire movie... Not talking to each other or saying really snarky things to each other. Which is kind of what you were saying earlier is your your problem with these sorts of movies. Yes. That the two people that it's obvious should be together just go out of their way to avoid being together as long as possible. Yes. All right. So what do you make of Mr. Darcy? I actually like Mr. Darcy. Okay. I mean, he's definitely arrogant and he comes across as uh, a bit condescending but it turns out he's just misunderstood. He's just Well, no, he is kind of a dick. Well, he is kind of a dick, but it's mostly because... See, he's sort of... I don't like small talk either, so I would probably... People probably think I'm a haughty bitch. And I'm not... I just don't like chit-chat unless I know you, so... So you relate to Mr. Darcy. I relate to Mr. Darcy. And Mary. And Mary. <laughs> Maybe they would have gotten along. <laughs> That's who should have gotten together. Yeah. Yes. Well, Mary actually, in the in this version, seemed to be eyeing Mr. Collins. She did. There she was, was a like, point. She yeah. was like, if you don't want him, I'll take him. Yeah. And Mary, you can do better, sweetie. We can do we can do better than that. I want good things for All you, right, Mary. Well, well, let's talk about Mr. Collins. Okay. This is the guy who is set to inherit. Yes. Because the girls cannot inherit the estate, so. And he's apparently going to put them out. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. So, to be fair... To Mr. Collins. His intentions in marrying one of the daughters is to kind of alleviate that, the unfairness involved in his inheriting the estate. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of the best case scenario is that you hope that, you know, the guy that's inheriting the estate will marry one of your daughters and therefore keep it all in the family. Right. That's what Downton Abbey was about. Um, The problem is he's an ass. Yes, he is. 
was interested in Jane, then found out that Jane was engaged. I was like, okay, well, I can take Elizabeth. That's fine, too. Most acceptable alternative. And his proposal was horrifying and just... What was horrifying about it? Well, he listed the reasons why they should get married, and none of them involved love or romance or anything like that. It was mostly, you know, I should be married as a priest Mm -hmm. because it's a good example for my parish, and... You know, you'll be fairly comfortable, and I don't even remember the third because I fell asleep. Um, And then he basically would not take no for an answer and just said, oh, you're playing that funny female game that all the ladies play. Well, again, in his defense... Playing hard to get. And first of all, yes, there's there's an unspoken rule in all of Jane Austen that anytime someone proposes with the expectation that they're going to be accepted, they are not going to be accepted. <laughs> okay. That's that's always a mistake. It's always a bad way in Jane Austen to go into a proposal is to assume that they're going to say yes, because that's not the case. <laughs> but he has reasons for thinking this because on paper, this is a really good deal sure. for Elizabeth. Yes. Elizabeth has no dowry. She has no fortune. She is in danger of being thrown out in the street. <laughs> This is a really good deal for her, so he has he has a good living, he's set up. On paper, this should be the perfect proposal for her. And yet. And it's a big deal for her to turn it down. It's a huge risk. As we see when her mom her runs after her down. saying, what the fuck? Right. <laughs> now, he did not have to say to her, you're probably never going to get another marriage proposal, yeah. you better take this one. Yeah. That was bad strategy on his part, but I don't know that it would have made any difference... No, I wouldn't have, but I mean, at least he, you know, he didn't help himself there. <laughs> I mean, I do think that's one of the appeals of Jane Austen is that she insists on the idea of marrying for love in this society where that is not... Right, the priority. ...a practical consideration. Right. <laughs> marrying for love is overrated. Marry for money. Kids, marry for money. <laughs> love can come later. Love can come when you're on your boat in the, you know, Maldives or something. What was the last movie you did? You made that same point then. Oh, yes. Osgood and um, uh, Daphne. Oh, yes, that's right. (laughs) (laughs) This this is my takeaway from this whole project. Marry for money. Can I ask you a question? Sure. Why didn't you do that? You know, I didn't... Is this regret speaking? Is that why you're focusing on this? You know, I'm reflecting on on some things as Uh I get older. You become the sort of old, wise old lady who's trying to pass down some wisdom. Mm -hmm. Don't make my mistakes. Don't make my mistakes. Yeah, sorry. Student loans are a fucking scam. (laughs) And marry for money. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so what haven't we? We haven't talked about uh, Mr. Wickham. Who's like a nothing character, really. Yeah, I mean, this is... Part of it is the fact that we're it's a two-hour movie right. and this is right everything is truncated mm-hmm. all the the characters we get less of them than we should the encounters are sort of reduced to these kind of almost random right character Meetings. pops up mm-hmm. pops in for a minute and says something and pops out i mean in the book and in the miniseries you get much more of a sense of all of these people live in the same community and they mm-hmm. all are getting to know each other over a much longer period of time but wickham is supposed to be a genuine alternative right for much of the story that we're supposed to believe that Lizzie is looking at him and thinking, he looks like a pretty good catch. Until she finds out that he's a liar <laughs> and just wants to, you know, hustle some money. Mm-hmm. And then he becomes less enticing. Yeah. And then he runs off with her sister and <laughs> disgraces the entire yes. family. Which again, okay, now we're jumping to the end. But Sorry. again, this is a 
that's a sequence that's very much truncated in this film version because mm-hmm. that it was a major that's a major crisis like that is the entire family will be ruined if they just run off to live in sin together right none of the girls will ever marry anyone because no one will have them because the entire family name is tainted mm-hmm. destroying the entire family is what would have been the result of that had they not managed to get them married Married properly yeah that veil of respectability thrown over this i'm sure it's going to be a lovely healthy marriage (laughs) she's awful she's a little terrible yeah she is just a hideous hideous (laughs) character well but she's also what 15 and then just doesn't even doesn't even have the good sense to feel bad about it or to even recognize and she just wanted to be married yeah you know 15 is a marriageable age in this culture. That was not unusual. No, I'm not saying it's... But I'm saying, you know, she... I mean, Lizzie's only 20. Okay. Jane is 21 or 22. So none of them are particularly old. Right. But she was beha- She behaved like a child through the... I mean, she's yeah. just... She's, she's a child. spoiled little yeah. child. So. And Kitty doesn't have much of a storyline. No. Kitty, Kitty is pretty much the same as... Just giggling and... The same as Lydia. Flirty. In the book, I seem to remember that in the kind of epilogue, it suggests that Kitty turns out better once Lydia is gone. <laughs> the influence <laughs> like, is away gone? from Lydia's influence. Kitty actually turns out okay. Maybe because she hangs out more with Mary. <laughs> Pick up some of that Mary vibe. <laughs> I, I don't think that's healthy. I don't think the Mary vibe is. <laughs> I think the Mary vibe good for anybody. Is very healthy. But yeah, Lydia is awful. In fact, I was looking, and I don't have an answer to this, but I was trying to figure, like, how can these girls be so different? How could Jane and Elizabeth have turned out the way they did, Mm -hmm. and then Kitty and Lydia turned out the way they did? I mean, I think you can chalk part of it up to age. Like, I know none of them are, you know, old women, but I think there there is some maturing that happens and some sort of... Between fifteen and twenty, and fifteen. Yeah, and but I don't. I don't think the older two were ever like that. I don't think we. <laughs> Jane very clearly was never anything other than perfect. Right. Never set a foot wrong. Yeah. And I don't think Elizabeth did either. I think that she was probably. No, I think Elizabeth was just sort of sassy and. Right. Yeah, but she wasn't. Yeah. yeah. She didn't get out of line. I mean, you know. There, there may not be an answer to it. It may just be a nature nurture kind of thing. I think. It's I mean, siblings don't always come out the same. Or you wonder if, you know, the parents, as they got older, got more desperate and more... Well, the mother got more desperate. Right. So the they're picking up on her vibe. more tired of all of this shit yeah. and withdrew more and more. And Yeah, I don't know. That's definitely a possibility. So we have the second dance <laughs> sequence, mm-hmm. which is the snootier ball at right. Netherfield. The private ball. The private ball. Yes. yes. With only the good class of people. The first dance was a public ball, and basically anyone who could buy a ticket could go, and it was all the, you know, peasants of the village were there, but the second ball is the private ball, and it's much snootier. That's where Elizabeth and Darcy dance for the first time. Yes. And they have a, you know, little sparring conversation as they twirl around, and then everyone disappears! (laughs) And just those two on the dance floor... And oh my I God. like th- I like that scene because it's actually fairly subtle. It, what? It's yeah. Everyone it is. disappears just for a second. It's more than a second because I looked away in disgust and then looked back <laughs> and they were still alone. And then finally everybody came back. 
There's a couple of those little Joe Wright flourishes in this movie like that. Yeah. Breaks the realism for a minute. Mm -hmm. There's that scene later where she's standing in front of the mirror and there's like a time lapse thing that happens. Right, and he just disappears. Behind her, and yeah. No, didn't work for you. It did not work for me. It really didn't. I think this movie is gorgeous. Uh, okay. It's not ugly. (laughs) What's the line? It's not tempting to me. (laughs) Not handsome enough to tempt you. (laughs) Yeah, no, it didn't do anything for me. I like Judy Dench. Well, yeah, she's Judy Dench. I appreciate... Very straightforward. See, this is what I like. Very straightforward communication. I think you and your family are trash. (laughs) Don't marry Mr. Darcy. (laughs) She's awful. I love her. She's an awful, awful human being. I love her. Apparently, if the internet is to be believed, Joe Wright lured Judi Dench into playing this role by sending her a note saying, I love it when you play a bitch. Please come play a bitch for me. Okay, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, because nobody can do withering scorn quite like Judy Dench. Disgust. Just total disgust. (laughs) I expected her to have a fluffy dog. She didn't. I feel like that's the type of character that usually has a fluffy dog that's always sort of around. She just had a sad daughter. Yeah, that is a very sad character. (laughs) Sad. You get the feeling she keeps her, like, locked in the attic when the company's not around. She's basically Meg from Little Women. It's just like, open the window and let her die. Just let her go. Beth. I always do that, Beth. You always do that. All right. What what, <laughs> what happened? We, okay. So let's, let's move on to the main events here. So we've got first Darcy's first proposal. Right, that she refuses because she... Finds out that he orchestrated the breakup between uh, Jane and Mr. Mr. Bingley. Bingley, uh, Because basically her family is trash and she was not as... That's basically what he says. No, it is. Your family came and embarrassed themselves on multiple occasions. And he's kind of got a point. He absolutely has a point. I would hesitate to marry into this family. But see, but then you don't want to be that... Especially if I knew... They were all money-grubbing. Well... Like, if the entire town was saying that, oh, yeah, they're going to land Mr. Bingley and his 5000 a year. But then it's like, on the other side of that, though, it's like, do you blame people for playing the game and being honest about the fact that they're playing the game when everybody's playing the game? But obviously there are ways to play the game with more decorum than Mrs. Bennett and the younger Bennetts. But part of me respects the, like... I mean, Jane and Elizabeth are playing the game. They are not Paragon... They want to marry... Yes. Well. They want to marry and they want to marry well. They're they're playing the game. Yeah. They are just doing it with a little more class and self-respect. She has five daughters. <laughs> okay. Five. That's a lot. It's a, it's a lot of daughters. It's a lot to move. And the reason they have five daughters, we can assume, is because they kept having more, hoping, hoping to get a boy. boy. Yeah. That's how that works. Yeah. And then they got to Lydia and said, we better stop. <laughs> If if they're getting worse as we yeah, go, they were not you gotta stop with Lydia. They were not improving with no. people. Uh, but yeah, so he made the argument that the family was not socially acceptable, and the fact that Jane was not necessarily very effusive. Right, and this, and here we come back to the playing the game thing. That right. Jane might have been playing the game a little too well. The little, yeah, because you know. Everything, it's all about repressed emotion, and right. Jane was maybe a little too repressed, a little, a little too, too shy. Played her cards a little too close to her chest. Her heaving bosom. Her heaving bosom. On the moors. So yes, Mr. Darcy thought his 
you know, that Mr. Bingley was in love with someone who did not love him back. Someone from an awful family. <laughs> someone who was after his money. Yes. And raised objections to protect his friend. This is pretty reasonable behavior. He didn't say it very nicely, though. No, he doesn't say much of anything very nicely. That's not among his gifts. There was something else that he did. Oh, and then she and then accused him of the Mr. Wickham thing. The Mr. Thing Wickham thing, right. Cheating Mr. Wickham out of his inheritance. Right. She was stupid enough to believe everything Mr. Wickham told her. All because he said she was unattractive. Yes. Somebody may be feeling themselves a little too much. <laughs> Maybe. Okay, so yes, she blows In the up. rain. Yeah, that was a little artistic license, though. <laughs> I think they were in a parlor the first time it happened in the book. But, you know, rain, we got to capture the mood. This is the low point of the love story. Mm-hmm. So, yes, they offend the shit out of each other in that scene in the rain. But then he sends a letter. Explaining, explaining his actions. everything. I feel like such a fool. What was that you were doing there? That was my Elizabeth. <laughs> I was so wrong about Mr. Darcy. (laughs) Yeah, there's an entire chapter in the book after she gets that letter of her just processing how she was wrong about everything. It's almost like the last chapter of a mystery novel where they go back over all the clues Mm -hmm. and explain everything that happened. That's what that chapter in the book is like. Because first she's pissed off after she reads the letter and then she like goes back and reads it again. It's like, maybe, could I have been wrong about this? And, like, pieces it all together and comes to the conclusion that she was completely wrong about everything. Yeah. Though not completely, because, again, he is sort of a dick. He is, I mean, he's he's actually very nice and generous. He's just, you know, the delivery isn't always great. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so let's speed through the resolution of this story here, so... After the letter, her opinion starts to change Mm -hmm. about Darcy, but we're not quite there yet. That's not, she doesn't run to him and say, let's get married. Mm -hmm. And then what else happens? Oh, well, she goes, ends up at his house. Right. Probably a rude thing to do after you've turned someone's proposal down. Well, she thought he wasn't going to be there. Turn up at his house, looking through his things. She thought he wasn't going to be there. Spying on his sister. (laughs) Very nice home. It's really, yeah, really nice place. Which she walked into being like, shit, I yeah, could have been... exactly. Mary for money. <laughs> People make good choices. But yes, so they end up talking while at, while at his estate. Have a very sort of stiff, polite conversation mm-hmm. about nothing. Mm-hmm. And then she runs away, as she tends to do. Yes. She's flustered. And then that's when we find out about Lydia. Oh, right. Yeah, that is shortly thereafter. Yeah, That Lydia has run off with Wickham, much to the shame of her family. And then we find out that he fixed it. He fixed everything. He fixed everything. He paid Lydia's, essentially a dowry, I guess, for her. Mm -hmm. And Wickham's on a payment plan from the father. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. And he also got Bingley to come back and man up and, you know, ask Jane to marry him. He, He also, Wickham also... If the book makes clear. Basically, Wickham was skipping town because he owed everybody money. He had gambling oh. debts. He owed money all over town. He was like, screw it. I'm taking off. And he and Lydia didn't really run off together. It was more like he was leaving and Lydia went. And he was like, yeah, I might as well take a companion for this trip. Like, he doesn't give a shit about no. Lydia. Right. Has no interest whatsoever. And, you know, who can blame him? But 
That'll be a lovely. It was day. not even a great romance where they like ran off right. together. It was no. Like it's a, really clear that he's indifferent to her in the movie for the most part. Yeah, but yes, Darcy fixes everything, which fixes him in Elizabeth's heart. Yay! <laughs> Do you have no investment in this story? I really don't. Why? I don't know. I I can't. Even, I just have. I didn't find them particularly interesting. I didn't find their love stories particularly interesting. I just. All right. Let's let's. What about the performances? I mean, yeah. So aside from Kira Knightley and Matthew McFadden, I don't know that anybody else had a whole lot to do, really. Mm-hmm. I mean, Mr. Collins was, he did creepy pretty well. He um, did. Tom Hollander. I noticed it particularly when he's in the scene where they go to uh, Lady... Lady Catherine. Lady Catherine's home. And he's standing before her and he's not fully... Uh, bowing, it's just sort of he's just sort of mm-hmm. shrinking down kind of into cringing. himself, and so like it, he did this sort of very the subsequiousness that he just sort of physically uh, manifested that I thought was actually really impressive because it was it was like a perfect kind of way for that character to to look and to stand and just mm-hmm. this sort of uh, he's he see I think he's almost a sympathetic character. He is. He's not a bad guy. Like, it's not his fault. He's so no. Awful. He's not a bad guy. Um, he's trying to do right. He's a fucking boring ass priest but you know to each his own pray for him um but yeah no he's not a bad guy i I liked him i thought he did a good job with that character um yeah i mean kira was fine high praise (laughs) since you call her smash face i just don't enjoy kira knightley very much as an as an actor and I'm sure she's great. People love Kira Knightley. I just don't. I don't enjoy. Well, you her. don't think she's particularly attractive either, which no, I no. Of course she is. I just say I call her smash face mostly just out. You of say me. she looks like a praying mantis. Well, again, but I'm just being an asshole about it. Like <laughs> she's she's obviously you know got the whole beautiful British rose thing going okay. on, and so I'm just being a dick. She's of course she's beautiful. I like. I actually think she's a really underrated actress, mm-hmm. and I think she makes way more interesting choices than. A lot of actresses who look like her mm-hmm. tend to make. I think she makes really good choices for the most part in the movies she makes, with the exception of the Pirates of the Caribbean movies, which there's no excuse for anyone ever to be in. I haven't seen her in much. I saw uh, Bend It Like Beckham. That was a cute movie. <laughs> yeah. um, but then the other, I feel like the other times I've seen her, they've been this sort of same sort of British kind of aristocracy sort of space. I don't know. Like, Atonement was sort of the similar vibe, kind of. Yeah, sort of. Um, I mean, it was British. It was... Well, but she was... <laughs> yeah, she's fine. She was fine. And um, the Mr. Darcy was good. I think he's probably a weaker link in this. And I think it's just because Colin Firth mm. in the miniseries. Yeah, there mm-hmm. was just no following that act. Yeah. I think Matthew McFadden's performance is, he, he went a slightly different way. It's a little less haughty and mm-hmm. a little more, he almost seems kind of just socially awkward. Like he's yeah. shy and, and he says, he says, I don't have the gift of speaking with people who I'm not acquainted with. And right. So he kind of implies that he's sort of awkward. Yeah. I'm getting that there was no swooning of any kind from you. So, uh, no, no swooning. <laughs> your, your your heart was not warm. I by was not the a flutter. No, I did not believe in the power of love. I did not want to stand in the rain and kiss someone. I did not want to, you know. Well, no, there's no kissing. Well, so one of the charges against this movie is that it was much too 
emotional and much too physical. It wasn't physical at all, was it? They almost kissed in that, first of all, she almost kisses him when she's yelling at him. In the rain scene. In the rain scene, Mm -hmm. in the first proposal. And then that second scene, it's just, it's simply not done in (laughs) Jane Austen. And then the last scene... Where they actually kiss. Where they are basically in their pajamas and obviously post-coital and probably (laughs) pre-coital. That's wholly invented. That scene is not in Austin. The dialogue Uh is not in Austin. And it is the sort of thing one does not show. You gotta give the people what they want. In Austin. It was so controversial that apparently people complained after they saw the previews. They took the scene out and released it without that scene. Really? And then people complain because they're like, hey, we heard about this scene and it isn't in the movie. So then they put the scene back. Yeah. I'm telling you, man, the fucking Austin people are like worse than Star Wars fans. They are just vicious about protecting this property. You were not going to release that film in 2005 and they weren't going to kiss. Like that just wasn't going to happen. I don't know what the hell they were thinking. Of course they're going to kiss. It's all, it's all about the repressed feelings. It's all about the things unsaid. It's all about passion within this very proper, buttoned-down society with all these rules. Mm-hmm. And that's actually what I like about this movie. I like it's a much earthier interpretation, and it's it's got a little more passion in it. Not too much, but a little more. <laughs> like, the, the dance scenes... Especially the first one, but even the second one to some extent, too. It actually looks like people are having fun. Yes. Which usually in these movies, the Austin adaptations and these other period movies, it doesn't. Right. It, it, they're very staid and very uh, very sedate, mm-hmm. like choreographed scene. Everybody's almost robotic the right. way they move in those dance scenes. That you watch them and you think, why would people even do this? Because it doesn't look like anybody's having any fun. So in this movie, I like the fact that people actually seem to be acting like people. Right. They actually were dancing, like they were having fun, they were making mistakes, they weren't perfectly choreographed, like it just seemed much more realistic and uh, relatable to me. The general squalor of the film Mm -hmm. was criticized, but again, it's something I like. Um, And they did make some changes. Usually the story is set in like 1813, which Mm -hmm. is the Regency period. They moved it back in this film to about 1797, which is the Georgian period. Um, And they did that in part. And I like this change. You you will have opinions about this. (laughs) They did it in part because Joe Wright said, I can't stand Empire Waste. And that later period is all Empire Waste. And I agree. I think everybody looks pregnant in an Empire Waste. It's an interesting reason to make that change. So okay. they moved it back to like before Empire Waste sure. were in vogue. Sure. Um, and then they, Elizabeth's family is not poor. Elizabeth's family is probably like upper middle class. Right. And so a lot of people thought this film made them look too squalid and because like the farm out back the, and the farm and the pigs the pigs right. wandering through the house sure. and all of that kind of stuff their dresses weren't particularly ornate right i think their hems got dirty i think I, and i think they did that in part to emphasize the class distinctions mm-hmm. between the various levels you've got that they're at one class bingley's at another class darcy's at a, yet another class right but I also just like because I think it. I think we have this tendency to sanitize period pieces, mm-hmm. and I liked the kind of rawness of this one. I was there's a character in Neil Gaiman's Sandman who has lived for hundreds of years, 
and he's talking to someone and he says, what people don't realize about the past is how much shit there was. They were like throwing it out the windows. <laughs> it's like, it's like, like there was human shit, there was animal yeah. shit, basically everything happened, you were knee deep in yeah. shit all the and time. And people didn't really bathe regularly. Right. Like fucking, yeah, no. Right. So I so I actually really like kind of the earthiness mm-hmm. of this and the, the sort of squalor of it. Yeah. So yeah, I mean those are those are most of the things that people that the real Austin aficionados criticize <laughs> about this movie. But I like the choices Joe Wright made, and the story is truncated, and a lot of the dialogue is truncated. Well, it was going to have to be, but that's yeah. you know, watch the miniseries or read the book if you want all of the nuance of Austin's dialogue. And, mm-hmm. and there are there are fabulous like long conversations that are just so well done and so acutely insightful about human nature and things that that's what makes Austin worthwhile and it's impossible to capture that in a two-hour movie but I think I do think this film did a really good job of doing it within two hours and still capturing the spirit of it and the major plot points but you were not impressed I was not you were bored I was really bored do you like any of these period I'm trying to think if there's Mm. Um, I can't off the top of my head think of a period film that i like um, you were not a downton abbey fan no that was not your world it's not usually the movies that i gravitate towards those aren't usually the movies that i enjoy the most um i can't even think of any i liked um malkovich dangerously yes i like dangerously <laughs> i love that movie except for keanu reeves you gotta. <laughs> he, they keep insisting on putting him in movies like that where he does not belong. Yeah. The man can't speak normal English. Don't he ask him to do Shakespeare. He's the greatest actor of your generation. 18th century French aristocrat. <laughs> it's, no, that's not his jam. He's seamless. He fits right in. Anyway. Yes. And you didn't find it romantic. I did not find it romantic. I mean, I understand that it was a romance. Um. <laughs> <laughs> I understand technically that if you had to, I sound like a robot. I understand the mechanics of the romance. One would call I... this a romance. <laughs> uh, you sound like Mary. Yeah, one plus one equals two. Mm-hmm. Um, so yes, I. But yeah, I didn't. I didn't feel anything for them as a couple. Do you think they're going to live happily ever after? Did you see the house? Yeah. <laughs> I'm fine. It's a nice statuary. I mean, jeez. And again, West Wing, you can take East Wing if shit gets real. So, yeah, they'll be fine. And Jane and Bingley will be happy? Jane and Bingley will be happy and we'll have, you know, very quiet, not that bright children. Um, I think Mary's going to come out the best. I don't know what Mary's going to be doing. She's not going to be married, but she's going to be. She's not going to. No, she's going to be living with her no, parents until they no, die. No. And no. then she's going to be a no. spinster. No. Mary's going to like. She's going to have to go move in with Jane and Bingley. No. She's going to yeah. like invent ladies' pants. She will be the one that will invent <laughs> ladies' pants. And she will make billions. Like, take this shit off and put some pants on. She's going to be Miss Seeley of e- this exact- world. Exactly. No. Mary is Miss Seeley. She's no. going to bring pants to the world. And dress all the ladies. I look forward to reading your Jane Austen (laughs) fan fiction. About Mary's career as a feminist entrepreneur. Exactly. (laughs) Why'd you get started on that? Yeah, I don't care that much. (laughs) Did you have a favorite part of the movie? No. That's always your first answer. (laughs) And I need to, you know, dig a little deeper. Um, Favorite part. Judy Dench would probably be... (laughs) (laughs) 
my favorite part. Anytime Judy Dench was on screen. Which was like about three minutes. And that's about as much as you're going to get out of me. So in the canon, we're, we're not... I mean, obviously uh, it's in the canon. It's awesome. I get and I understand why everyone... I don't understand, but I get that everyone <laughs> loves it. So you're glad you glad you watched it. I'm not glad that I watched it. I that was a very long two hours of my life. I was I was bored. Usually I can just hate something, and then it's not really boring because I'm stewing in my hate. But this was just boring for me. I mean, the basic storyline of you know this couple that hates each other and eventually falls in love, realizes that they've been in love. All that's pretty archetypal. That's pretty... yeah, it is. And I don't tend to like those stories. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe because I'm usually right about people the first go round. If I decide that I hate oh, you, oh, are you? See, that's you. that's what that's what both Elizabeth and Darcy thought, <laughs> and they found out they were wrong. <laughs> this is to some extent a story about people realizing they were wrong I'm usually and right, that they though. weren't as smart as they thought they I'm were. That's right. what this story is about, and you don't seem to have taken that lesson. Well, because I'm usually right. <laughs> <laughs> Right on the money. And you're not, because you hated me when we met. I didn't hate you. I just, you know, made some assumptions about yeah, you. Yeah, you assumed, because I was bald, that I was a white supremacist. Not just bald. This like... is not you being right. <laughs> it was not just the bald thing. You were also rude and just <laughs> had a, a just a, a glower about you, and it was just... Like Mr. Darcy. No, but... So what yeah. you were... To... Yes. No. No. I don't understand how you can just reject this story when no. you have lived it. Except for the money part. Yeah, that will. Sorry about that. You know, if you had money, I would have been your friend immediately. <laughs> <laughs> it's cold. Money makes a lot of things easier, including love. You can afford separate vacations. <laughs> you can afford a big-ass house where you never have to see each other. It's a wonderful thing. You should definitely look for that in your second marriage. I really should. Okay, well, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I keep trying to get you to some place where you're gonna, you know, admit that you like this movie, and I'm not. That's not going to happen. I'm sorry. And you don't want to read the book. I mean, I may eventually, at some point, read the book there, but there are other books that I want to read before that. And I definitely can't talk you into watching the miniseries because I thought after watching this, I thought I think I'll watch that miniseries again. You enjoy that? We have. I haven't watched it in a while. You know. I can be somewhere it's, else. It's very good. It's very faithful to the novel. I'm sure it is. That's wonderful. Yeah, I'm not going to participate in that. You should have married someone who was into romantic comedies and, <laughs> you know, was in an Austin book club. And she could say, oh, you're my Mr. Darcy. And you say, oh, you're my Elizabeth. And then you guys can, like, I don't know, make out on... The Moors. Lake Michigan, I guess, is the closest <laughs> thing that we would have. That's not the same. <laughs> but... Yeah, that, that sounds awful. That does not sound <laughs> good to me. And frankly, then I don't think we'd be doing this podcast. Well, no, because she would have seen all these, you know, wonderful films. And you guys could talk about them lovingly. We'd agree about everything. We'd agree about them all. Yeah, no, that sounds just it would be fucking wonderful. awful. It would be wonderful. <laughs> I think you should actually, th this should be our last episode and you should go find that girl. No, not unless she has 10000 a year. No, it'll be for love. You just said. No, that's for me. That's ah. note to self sort of thing. <laughs> and, you know, anyone out there who <laughs> is looking for some love advice, secure the bag. That's all you got to do. Just get the money. Happy Valentine's <laughs> Day, everyone. That's our show. Thanks for listening. 
Several people have asked when Nakia is going to be allowed to pick the movie that we're going to watch, and next week, that's what's going to happen. In honor of the release of Black Panther in movie theaters... Super excited! We are going to be discussing Black Panther, and we are also going to be watching a classic of Nakia's pick, which is... Shaft. 1971's <laughs> Shaft, which I confess I have never seen all of. I think he is one of, if not the sort of first black quote-unquote superhero on screen, so I felt like it'd be a good pairing. I, I, I think that's a good pairing. I'm looking forward to this. <laughs> In the meantime, you can find us on the web at unaffiliatedcritic.com, follow us on Twitter at Free Range Critic, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or your favorite app, and email us at michael at unaffiliatedcritic.com. As always, we encourage you to suggest a movie Nakia needs to see to make her life complete. Until then, remember, true love means making your partner watch movies they really, really don't want to watch. But not if you want to get laid on Valentine's Day. Well, now you tell me. <laughs> sound like i'm a terrible person that i'm not well maybe you should you know, examine that romantic and loving maybe you and should think about that i'm a pisces i'm very loving i'm very kind and sweet <laughs> we're also apparently very big liars um uh-huh. and a little bit crazy yeah but very loving and romantic and sweet